Genesis chapter 27, reading from verse 30 to verse 45. Uh, may God give uh, the blessings of faith as we both read and hear his word read from Genesis 27. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are, are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, uh, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself now about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me again in a time of prayer. Now, Father, again, we are thankful to you. How great thou art indeed. Thank you for your loving kindness, eternal love to us, the great gift of the Son and the Spirit and your fatherly care. Uh, we do pray this morning that you would remember the sick, uh, those in need of uh, restored health, be near to them. Uh, grant them uh, recovery, but more so daily strength for daily needs, and bless those who care for them. Give courage to the fearful, lift up the downhearted, guide the perplexed, watch over our children and grandchildren. 
Protect us from the dangers of a fallen world. Be near to us. And as you have blessed us in so many ways this past year, be with us in the new year. May all go well for us, but above all, we ask you to increase our love and devotion to Christ. And may that renewed love and devotion be manifest in walking with our God upright in a fallen world to bring glory to your name. Now, Father, bless your word to us. Bless Phil. May your word go forth in the power of the Spirit. And behold, may we see wonderful things in your word. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Our uh, text this morning is uh, the tragic story of the consequences of sin. Uh, For Esau, uh, the consequences are uh, sadly eternal, but even worse, they are irreversible. For Jacob, uh, the tragedies of his sin is a temporal, uh, engaging, divine uh, discipline. And uh, much of the chapters to follow will uh, afford us the uh, account of looking at God disciplining Jacob for the deception that he uh, brought into uh, his family. Uh, But... um, Rebecca is also going to be disciplined because of her disloyalty to her husband and the improper way that she confronted him regarding uh, the dispatch of the divine blessing. It's also a lesson, uh, quite a very difficult lesson, I, I might uh, say, that members of the visible church of which Esau is a part uh, can fall away from the faith and never, ever again enter back into it. While members of the invisible church uh, can backslide, uh, and eventually, because of divine discipline, God will bring them back into the visible community in full restoration. Uh, in, In our case, the immediate case this morning, the consequences of deceit, our sadness and bitterness over the denial of the blessing, uh, certainly on behalf of uh, Esau, resulting in a desire for revenge. And then in Jacob's case, his flight. He flees his family for safety. It is, again, I think, worthwhile to remember that uh, the revealed will of God has established the order of the blessing. Uh, I think it's worthwhile to read that again, chapter 25 and verse 23. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples shall be separated from your body and one shall be the stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. It was always God's intention that the blessing go to uh, the younger son as well as to reject the eldest. A reminder of uh, the mystery of the sovereignty of God in the work of salvation. Uh, As you know, Isaac is unhappy with the revealed will of God. Uh, So he thinks he's going to use his own order, but he's been tricked, as you know, from 
this chapter and the previous chapter. He's been deceived, uh, which, as I shared last week, is an improper use of the means to accomplish the will of God. Uh, Rachel, of course, is happy, but tragically she uses deception to thwart the social custom of primogenitor and the desire of her husband. And again, all of all of them will suffer the consequences of uh, discipline, but that which falls on Esau is uh, extremely tragic because it's irreversible. Uh, verses 30 to 40, we learn that Esau is embittered and he's also rejected by God. Uh, while a member of the visible family of faith, his life betrays his spiritual uh, identity. I would remind you, he was born into the family of God. The visible family. Of which Isaac uh, is now the patriarch. So visibly, he belongs to that family. What is going to occur is going to betray his, uh, his heart and the invisible reality that he does not belong to the family of the one true living God. He is his father's favorite and expects blessing for a stew. And he sells his birthright for the same. Now I would remind you of something that all of us should know. Uh, you cannot come to God and expect him to bless you uh, for anything you, you could ever do whether it be a righteous act in terms of a civil world in which we live, or whatever your estimation that act is. Because God doesn't bless us based upon anything within us or about us, to be sure. The sole cause of His blessing is the work of His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's also... Uh, worthwhile to remember that Esau sold his birthright uh, for a meal. And that really is the line that he crosses which becomes irreversible. His utter casualness is telling that he is governed entirely by the flesh. He sought the blessing by the flesh because he's governed by the flesh. We also know from this text uh, something that will uh, continue in his life. Uh, he marries Canaanite uh, women, uh, which is uh, denial of the faith, and makes life miserable for his parents. Look, if you would, uh, very quickly, uh, chapter 26, verses 34 and 35. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the martyr, pardon me, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And they made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Now he comes to claim a right that is not his to receive. And neither is it a right for Isaac to give. Upon learning that he was deceived, uh, we read in the text, literally, Isaac was uh, trembled with a very great trembling. Why is that? Because he irreversibly has blessed Jacob.
the proper order, but again in the wrong way. And so he's visibly and emotionally moved by what he's done. Upon hearing that his father has already blessed the son of promise, uh, again, verse 34, in powerful emotion, Esau cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Esau acknowledges that Jacob was true to his name. Uh, you recall he was born uh, holding the foot of his uh, brother, the firstborn. Uh, so he's a tricker. And again, God will deal with him for that. But nonetheless, in God's sovereign providence, he is the son of promise. And uh, it's happened now to Esau twice. And uh, I remind you again of what I said uh, something a moment ago. We will study that uh, Jacob will undergo some very serious discipline by the hand of God because God disciplines his true sons. Uh, the sadness is compounded in Esau's life and his question, have you not reserved a blessing for me? I mean, in my life, I read that, it just kind of drips with powerful, powerful emotion. And then the text, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. It is, I think, a picture of the cry of the lost when they will learn that Satan has deceived them. But there is no recovery for them because in the coming of Christ and in the final judgments, it is too late. There is a theological commentary on this action in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I encourage you to turn in your New Testaments to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read the Lord willing, verses 15 to 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 17. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance though he sought for it with tears. It's a tragic biblical commentary uh, on the life of a man who's crossed a line. And I would remind you that emotion is not true repentance. But now, sadly, it is too late for Esau. It's a tragic example of a man within the visible community who is contemptuous of his spiritual heritage and the divine provision. And his decision, as I've suggested several times, is irreversible. It's not the only one in the Scriptures. Think about it momentarily with me, if you would. Uh, king Saul. Uh, he was anointed king, but he was uh, not a child of the faith. He paid tragically for it in a tragic life. Obviously, Judas. Judas was a member of the visible community of the disciples. Throughout most of his life, had you watched him, you would have said, he's a follower of Christ. 
But he was not. Because he betrayed the Lord. And the Lord said of him, Woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Better that that man had never been born. The curtain fell upon him and he was lost forever and denied ever the occasion of repentance, though he was tragically, deeply saddened. And as you know, he returned the price of betrayal to those who gave it to him. But it was too late. He was gone forever spiritually. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, verse 14, there's two others mentioned by the Apostle Paul. Demas has left me, Paul says, having loved the world. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. The greater theological commentary on uh, the actions of Esau really come to us uh, from the book of Hebrews. Again, encourage you to uh, turn back there. Um, there are in the book of Hebrews uh, five, five warning passages uh, that really are descriptive of a line of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who belongs to the visible church, but then who falls away and commits a sin that is analogous to Saul and to Judas or to Alexander and to Demas. It's a sin that is uh, irreversible in its consequences. And so the author of the book of Hebrews uh, writes to warn the visible community of the church of which he is a pastor to be very careful about which some of them are contemplating that is leaving and rejecting the faith. They've come under suffering. We know that from uh, the context of the book. Uh, the suffering was obviously uh, very perilous. And uh, sometimes when people undergo through sufferings, they can ponder tragic decisions. And so our author is a good pastor, writes to interdict them. Because he knows that if they cross that line, it's an irreversible event. And that they will be lost forever. Now again, uh, keep in mind that I said members of the visible community of the faith. Uh, that is not true and can never be said of the invisible members of the body of Jesus Christ. Uh, but in the visible church, there are, uh, we know from the scriptures that there are, uh, hopefully many, many who know Jesus Christ in a personal way and the forgiveness of sin and guilt. And there are some who come who think they are of the faith. I don't know they, who they are. And I always am thankful that God has never given me the shirt of the referee. I simply don't know either. What I do know is that conduct is incredibly and profoundly important. And that over time and in degree, men and women like Esau or Alexander or Demas or Saul or whomever they are will eventually give evidence that their faith was false and they never ever really belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ.
But the consequences that should set within all of our hearts, the irreversible uh, actions that these men and women uh, in the church of which Hebrews is written, that some of them are pondering. Now I would remind you of something I think is very important. There's no evidence that any of them ever did. As you know, if you've ever attended this church for any length of time, uh, I have a profound belief in the fact that uh, whoever God the Father gave to God the Son to purchase upon the cross, that none of those can ever be lost. We know that from John chapter 6 as well as many other chapters. But I'm not dealing with the invisible church. I'm dealing with the visible church of which come and go. The nation of Israel is a beautiful example. Paul writes of that nation. Uh, not every member of Israel is a true Israelite. And our call to worship this morning is a testimony of some who gave evidence that they never really belonged to God and were lost forever because of their sin. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 4 to 6. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. I believe that verses 4 and 5 is uh, referencing uh, the visible community of the church. Uh, as you know, there are sacraments here. Uh, as you know, we appeal to the grace of the Spirit of God to work. Uh, we sing great hymns, confessional statements that are theologically sound. We read the Word of God. We do all of the things, if you will, visibly in verses 4 to 6. Uh, but if someone ever falls away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. The particular sin of which our author is speaking of is the sin of apostasy. Let's turn to chapter 10. Another warning. There are five. I'm only going to read two of them. But they are all very similar. And they all have the same very forceful, chilling language of the two that I'm reading. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26. And then we will quickly slip to verses 29 to 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has, re has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So there are consequences to sin. For the child, the true child of the faith, there are the consequences of discipline. But this is the sin of apostasy of which the consequences our irreversible rejection by the living God. Esau, Judas, Demas, Alexander have fallen into the hands of the living God for eternal judgment. What about this sin of apostasy of which there is no recovery? 
attempt to, re- to define it for you from the book of Hebrews, although we were studying, obviously, the book of Genesis. Uh, apostasy is the deliberate and intentional rejection of the accomplishments of Christ. An abandonment without care or concern for who Christ is and what he did. And apostasy is fatal and terminal, for there is no other provision for sin outside of Christ. And there is, as you know, no recovery from the author of the book of Hebrews. And so when Esau sold his blessing to Jacob for some porridge, he was committing that sin. He is betraying that he could care less for the blessing of his father. He was casual about that blessing and a simple meal would suit him just fine. And he walks away from that blessing and the door shuts on him forever. I would also remind you that the book of Hebrews is a very powerful theological lesson on the necessity of persevering in not only true theology, but as well true conduct as evidence of genuine salvation. But this is a chilling story. The sin of apostasy that can be committed in this life by someone who's a member of the visible church who says, I've had enough of this. I could care less about anything. I'm walking away. Uh, I could care less about Christ, His sacrifice, His sacraments, and I could care less about the Spirit who lives to glorify the Son of God. That is an irreversible line to cross. Never to be crossed again. It is so chilling in my own heart that I, I remind you of the words obviously extra-biblical of Dante who writes of the great inferno. Before a man enters into the portals of hell, you know the sign above it, all ye who enter here abandon hope. For the man or the woman or the boy or the girl in the visible church who forsakes Christ, who insults the Spirit of God, who insults God the Father, who provides the Son of God. When they cross that line, they should abandon all hope in this life of ever, ever repenting again. That's the story of Esau and Judas, as well as the others that I have named. All ye who commit this sin, abandon all hope. As tragic as this story is, uh, we obviously have to repair to the divine will. It is the sovereign God who gives the blessing in His way and His time. It never, ever really belonged to Isaac, even though he was the agent uh, that was to be so used to obey the divine oracle Uh, to his wife. And that is that the younger would, uh, pardon me, that the older would serve the younger. 
and that the younger was uh, the nation of the people of God and the older those outside the family of God. We also know that the blessings are in his son and no one else. One of the great tragedies of our culture is that we have uh, uh, gone to the pond of pluralism much too often and been taught that there are many ways to enter the kingdom of God when the Bible is clear that there is only one, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Forsake him at your danger. We also know that uh, God reminds us of the way of salvation. There is the general call to the Scriptures that whoever calls upon the name of the Son of God shall be saved. There is the general call of this pulpit. Flee to the Lord Jesus Christ for safety, for there is safety in no one else but Him and His work upon the cross. And we also know in God's sovereignty, ultimately the choice is His. Uh, not a very popular theological position in our world today, uh, but we, we don't deal in popularity. We deal in the revealed will of Holy Scripture as the word of the living God. Ultimately, the choice is his. And that has been enacted for us uh, in the life of Jacob and Esau. Uh, but again, visibly, uh, deny his son and the provision of salvation, and you will die eternally apart from God. God is the sovereign, and in his sovereignty, the blessing is his to give. In and of itself, it's an implicit warning. Approach him in fear and trembling. Ask him to be gracious to you if you do not know his son. Sue for peace. Because outside of him, there is no peace. But in him, there is peace forever. Approach him with great care and devotion. Because in his provision, there is no condemnation. But reject his provision, and there is every condemnation in this life, and even worse, in the life to come. In this case, I would also remind you that uh, Esau is culpable. God is sovereign, but he holds us all responsible. Let's look at that momentarily from the theology of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. Skip down to verses 11 to 13. For though the twins were not yet born and had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Or again, Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable in and of itself, compelling reasons if you do not know His Son as your Savior to flee to Him and to ask Him 
to be gracious to you and to save you. Because he is the only way. In the case of uh, our chapter this morning, Isaac curses his firstborn son for his life and his contemptuousness of God. He says, the fertility of the earth will be denied you. You will live by the sword. Your brother and his family will have dominion over you. And his character, of course, demonstrates repeatedly throughout his life his utter lack of repentance. We know from this text immediately he wants to kill his brother. Uh, In the next chapter, he will take another Canaanite wife in violation of the duty of Christians to marry within the family of the faith. But the parallel is also uh, expressive in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. To Cain, chapter 4, verse 3. He killed his brother and is driven away from the presence of God. And to Lamech, chapter 4, verse 23. So the consequences to Esau are eternal, irrevocable, irreversible. What about the temporal consequences to the children of the faith? All of us are sinners. We all do things and have done things in days gone by, and yet God has been gracious to us, and so we should praise Him and worship Him for being kind and gracious to us and His beloved Son and for the dispatch of the Spirit to bring us into the family of the faith and, if the case may be, to discipline us. Because God disciplines sons. Temporal consequences. Verses 41 to 45, Jacob must flee. His mother tells him that his brother wants to kill him. So she commands him to flee to Haran and to Laban. And oh, what a price he will pay there. It's not eternal, but he's going to pay a heavy price because God disciplines his sons, as I've said over again. Uh, for using deceit while unknown to her at the time. Uh, Rebecca will never see her son again. Furthermore, unlike Sarah, she receives no tribute at her death except for the fact that she will be buried in the tomb of the patriarchs. Powerful things. Uh, And as for Jacob, he will be deceived and pay handsomely for his part in deception. I'm just simply recounting you, sin has consequences. Uh, For those who are the sons of God and for those who forsake the provision of God. Uh, In the one, they're eternal. In the latter, they are temporal. Uh, But if you are a child of the faith and have ever undergone the discipline of God, and I will tell you uh, transparently from this pulpit, I have have faced in my own life that paddle. And it is difficult, and you, you do shed tears. But nonetheless, thank God. Thank God that He corrects and He loves. I would rather have crossed that line than the line of Judas and Esau, to be sure. The visible community of which Esau was a part is no guarantee of receiving the inheritance. 
Esau was a member of the family of promise, but one's parents cannot save. They play a part in love, prayer, and the Scriptures, but they must trust God to save their children. And uh, labor, uh, laying hold of the means of grace to teach their children uh, the fear and admonition of the Lord, but ultimately they must wait upon Him to save. Uh, Esau was under the presumption that the blessing was Isaac's to give. I think about that on occasion. Think about someone who says, well, the priest blessed me, I'm, I'm okay. Wow. There's only one high priest that can bless for salvation, and that is the Lord Jesus. He thought the blessing was his based on his birth order and that it was irrespective of this life. Tragically, he was mistaken. Only God can save. I remind you that from the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul tells Timothy, who is God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Secondly, the scriptures are filled with the examples of uh, men and women who begin well. In many respects, uh, Esau and Judas are so numbered. The greater realities that were also to continue well as evidence that God has saved us. Remind you of John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. Remember a number of years ago reading about the uh, tremendous sacrifices uh, that the early missionaries uh, made in the land of China. Uh, The going was uh, incredibly difficult and they saw very, very few uh, early converts. Uh, Thankfully, there is a true, genuine church today uh, in China. Uh, But in the early days, it was uh, very difficult. And sometimes uh, uh, the missionaries would uh, do things, perhaps, uh, uh, to help uh, whom they believed were recent converts, like serve them rice. And yet, when rice was not served... The converts weren't there. And they, and they, they learned this tragic truth, uh, by naming these converts rice Christians. Think about that. Rice Christians. Why? Because they were Christians when rice was being served, but when rice was not being served, they would not come. So what about ski trip Christians? I mean, I don't know. Nothing wrong with ski trips. By the way, I deeply love rice. Uh, And gumbo. And all those types of things. But rice can't save, can it? Rice Christians. The lesson is that visible expressions of the faith, as important as they are, and that includes things like a decision for Christ, a baptism, a confirmation, a public profession, 
I'm not undermining the importance of many of those things, but they do not save. Only God saves. And you cannot hang a confirmation statement on your wall signed by a bishop or whoever it's signed by and think that is the hope of your salvation because only God saves. Bishops cannot save. Confirmation cannot save. Only, only Jesus Christ in His sovereign power and grace can save. And therefore, He is the one you repair to. If you do not know Him, I encourage you to flee to Him because there is no safety whatsoever outside of Him. Only in Him. I'd also remind you that is something that we will uh, learn about the life of Jacob. That the evidence of a changed life is essential. It's also one of the ways that we can have the true assurance that God has saved us. Because we instinctively know only God can change our lives. And God does for the sons and daughters that he loves, that he has loved from eternity past. Now I will tell you I've never known someone and not aware of anyone in this church who's committed the sin of apostasy. Uh, but I'm also uh, reminded continually from books like Romans and Hebrews that sometimes people attend church for whatever reason. They think they want a ticket punched or want to hang around for a while. And so the warning passages are incredibly important to them. Be very careful to whom you trust your eternal destiny. And when you so entrust him, follow the words the author of the book of Hebrews. Hold fast. Cling to him. And never let go. And in his sovereign grace, he never lets go of those whom he loves from eternity past. The visible community is, in that regard, to diligently use the means of grace to advance corporate and personal holiness, without which no man shall see God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing Him you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent not to lie, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I understand Rebecca. She, think, she thought that God needed her help. God doesn't need our help. If he did, he wouldn't be God. She should have repaired to prayer, admonished her husband from the word of God. She should have gone in faith and she should have never used a deception. She was a child of the faith, to be sure, but she will pay a price, to be sure. And again, God's grace is always the determining factor. None of us deserve it, 
Certainly Jacob did not, and neither do we. It's a very instructive uh, warning passage uh, from the Apostle Paul, and I will close with this because my hour is gone. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, there is a vice list. Uh, and Paul's reminding the church uh, to give attention to that vice list for its evidence of those who are outside of the faith. But he turns to them and gives uh, to his church the first epistle, the church of Corinth, the marvelous words of the grace of God to those who are the sons and daughters of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. What a majestic God who saves sinners. All of us are sinners. If you haven't fled to Christ, I appeal to you to flee to Him. If you are and you're living in sin, repent and hold fast. Give a true confession of the faith and God will smile upon you. Because God has loved His sons and daughters from eternity past. And what He has started in, his, in their lives, He will see to the end because of His sovereign grace and mercy. That is the hope that we should treasure each and every day. And we should hold it fast because of all that it means. Namely, the sovereign grace of our Lord who saves wretched people by His grace.